When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me via the Internet is your other host, Bryce Johnson, and our super producer, Riley Bray. Hey, Hi, boys. Here we are. <laughs> Hi. Hey. Wow. Wow, we have we got we got the virtual Millennium Falcon up and running after a forty-five minute <laughs> technical check. <laughs> and with that, I feel like we should bring in our special guest, uh, in just in case the shit goes down as soon as we as soon as we can. What do you say? Why not? Fuck it. Skip skip quarantine check-ins. Let's go straight to the guests. Let's do this. <laughs> We are so happy to have the author of Monsterland, Encounters with UFOs, Bigfoot, and Orange Orbs, and its sequel, Monsterland, Shamans, Sasquatch, Synchronicity, and High Strangeness. Does that sound perfect for this show? He's the co-creator and host of the Monsterland podcast with Maddie Blake and team member of Travel Channel's hit show, Expedition Bigfoot, specializing in the paranormal aspects of Bigfootery. Please give a warm welcome to the Bigfoot Collectors Club podcast, Mr. Ronnie LeBlanc. What up, yeah. boys? What's going What's on? Going on? Hi, Bryce. How you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Apologize for the uh, technical difficulties. We oh, had. don't no, no. Jeez. It's okay. We're in strange <laughs> times. We could just pretend it never happened. Though. It never, never happened. No, <laughs> it never uh, happened. We're obviously all uh, in lockdown in our homes. Ronnie, where are you uh, calling in from? I'm um, I'm right outside of. Um, Boston. I'm in Lemonster, so I'm right in Central Mass. And wow. how are things going there? It's crazy, man. Um, I have four kids. I got three girls and a boy. Wow. And they're all out of school, um, 15 all the way down to nine. My son's the youngest. So we're trying to manage that, just kind of in use the time wisely i guess because you don't know what the heck's going on <laughs> i'm sure you're i'm sure your wife's like mine would be like honey just handle the school today i gotta go yeah. uh talk about bigfoot quick <laughs> yeah, you need to have a little hand-painted sign that you hang over your uh office door that says daddy's gone podcasting that's right <laughs> uh riley i'm sure everybody listening is going to want to know how are you and grace feeling we're doing a lot better Okay, like good. A, like con- considerably better. It um it never got super bad for us. We never got tested, so I can't say a hundred percent one way or the other. But I feel fairly confident that we had it, and um, it was you know the, sort of the classic symptoms, um, the headaches and the sore throat, and I felt it a little bit going to my chest, but it never got bad. 
and um, fatigue and all that stuff. But um, and the sense we, is disappearing. Correct. Yeah, and the dis- yeah the disappearance of sense of smell and taste. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both the sense of smell is coming back. Taste is pretty much back. Um, I'm, the headaches have stopped. Uh, my breathing's normal. I I feel fine. I'm totally better. So it was like it ran. It took about two weeks. And uh, Grace is also like totally feeling fine. So I think we had it. I think we're over it. We both were luckily had a very light case of it and uh, yeah we're all good we're we're fine wow. good that's wow. good news that's so great to hear and i'm sure you guys will find out i mean you're in new territory as to like you know what do you do once you uh recover from uh from the virus and how how does that affect your like you know dealing with it in the future and shit like that it's all news to us you know yeah i mean we're in we are truly in uncharted territory these days so you know everyone's just doing the best they can and i just you know everyone just needs to make sure to be good to each other i think that's the most important thing right now is that we need to isn't it weird that doesn't it feel like we're all living in an alternate timeline right now (laughs) totally it's it's this bizarre world right now i don't know what the hell is going on it it feels like we walk through the looking glass and i you know it's our 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 like present has felt like a science fiction book for the past like three or four weeks it's just it's insane Mm. i don't i don't know it absolutely does there's moments where you know it just it feels dystopian you're like oh my god i can't like I'll, i'll i'll check out a headline once in a blue moon and i'll just be like man i cannot believe this is all happening around me it just it's very surreal yeah well it is speaking of surreal headlines Let's get out of the gloom and doom, and let's get into the world of the weird. Let's do it. There we go. Because we have some... BCC <laughs> that was our best one yet. Yeah, that was pretty good, guys. <laughs> you guys should we do did. a countdown or something. We did. There's usually a sound hey, cue. Don't tell us how to do our here. job, Ronnie. <laughs> I felt my uh. <laughs> Bryce. I felt me virtually grabbing your hand and just pulling you into the abyss with me on that one. I was like, we didn't work this out. Um, okay, this was sent in by uh, one of our Patreon listeners. Uh, this is an article from the Daily Star in the UK. I'm sure it's a reliable, uh, <laughs> reliable news source, but this is really fun, and you'll understand why I want to talk about this. The headline reads: "Bizarre humanoid figure with wings spotted hovering above Arizona." Yeah. Strange footage of what appears to be a human-like figure hovering in the sky in Phoenix, Arizona, has sent the conspiracy world into meltdown. The video begins with a black object remaining motionless in the overcast sky. As the person behind the camera zooms in, the object seems to take on uncanny qualities. It appears to have a body and two legs hanging below. When the shape starts to turn, what looks like wings appear. YouTube user Bally18 took the footage on March 22nd before it was picked up by conspiracy site Mavi777. Their post, entitled Strange Humanoid-Like Object Caught Over Phoenix, Arizona, has been seen more than 2,000 times after it was shared yesterday. Viewers were quick to flock to the comments section where suggestions on what the object was were wide-ranging. Someone said it was simply someone using a flying jetpack. But I I don't know if you guys got a chance to look at this video. What did did you guys think? It's kind of weird. It is weird. Yeah, man. You know initial uh reaction to like videos now it's like you 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 instantly kind of go okay is this a drone or is this some kind of a balloon um 
and you you had that kind of man like figure kind of floating there. It was so odd. And then when the video, uh, when I went deeper into the video on YouTube, it it, it seemed to kind of be more like craft like, but just upright. It was just a weird shape. I don't know what to make of it. We've been reading the Mothman prophecies this month for an upcoming Patreon episode. And what jumped out at me immediately, aside from the synchronicity of this video being delivered literally as I was reading the book Mm. the other night, was that in so much of the Mothman prophecies, John Keel talks about in the months and years leading up to Point Pleasant in 1967, people were seeing strange crafts that looked like winged creatures. They couldn't tell if they were humanoids or if they were crafts. Yeah. Mm. Um, and this to me, whether it's man-made, um, whether it's a drone, certainly seems to fit the description of exactly the type of thing that Keel was writing about in Mothman Prophecy. Well, and not only yeah. that, Michael, but it's like, you know, when these witnesses described this like Mothman creature and the huge bat wings, they often said when it would take off that the wings wouldn't actually flap, that it would really just sort of levitate mm. and float upwards, which is the, which this video immediately reminded me of. It's like, yeah, this thing is just, it Very seems true. to be floating along the sky this thing didn't have very very big wingspan or whatever but uh but it definitely had that floating movement man uh it's crazy to me it looks like someone had taken one of those like gothic angel statues off of a tomb (laughs) and managed to like (laughs) fly it up into the air that's kind of what it looks like like one of those praying weeping angels like almost like doctor who it's it's fixed. It's not fluid. It just seems to be one solid kind of piece. And throughout the whole video, I didn't see it kind of change or, or move or, you know, legs kind of dangle or all that. So the description that uh, you mentioned, too, from the Mothman prophecies kind of fits spot on. Let me ask yeah. you, Ronnie, is this is this different than a UFO or a UAP or is this somehow related? It's a good question. I think it's somehow related because it does look kind of like a craft. I mean, you look at um, uh, and I didn't really kind of pick up on this until I was doing, you know, just digging on sightings. But UFO sightings, uh, there's a lot of them that are reported as sphere like objects or orbs. Um, So even these balls of light, which not necessarily would be considered a craft, are being categorized. Uh, in in that kind of lump of these UFOs. So this is kind of, to me, seems like it's like maybe, you know, they talk about the Thunderbirds and we always think of these huge birds, but could it be these, you know, these craft with wings or that just look upright and just oddly floating around? Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I was looking for some kind of weird propellers or some kind of drone um, or any kind of disturbance or anything in the video. I didn't see any of that. Um, so I think it definitely falls into that, uh, that UFO category. Riley, I have a question for you, right? So through a lot of the research I'm, that we do on this show, you sort of get, mm-hmm. you sort of get the idea that, that this, let's call it the phenomenon, uh, you know, people receive it differently. People see it differently. It, it all runs through their own consciousness, consciousness and their own brain receiver. So if you mm-hmm. see something, I might see it a little differently, does that affect yeah. the way uh, uh, something like a camera picks up the phenomenon? Or uh, is that a true representation of how we would all see it, you think, if it's picked up through like a camera or an iPhone or a video? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's getting into like the the core question of like what is perception, mm. you know, and mm. and are you seeing it with your eyes or are you seeing it with your mind, you know? Right. And I think that's an again like something that John Keel gets into a lot about, you know, kind of the 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 hypnotic suggestion state where it's like you are seeing something but is that necessarily a physical representation or or is it um, you know, a representation in your mind's eye, some sort of hypnotic frequency? So, I mean, I, I guess there's really no way to answer that question because you can't you can't really objectively see your own perception, yeah. you know, and that's except with a camera, which doesn't perceive it just, uh, you know, makes an analog. It makes a copy. So, yeah, it's wild. Um, you know, that would be so if there was a way that we could test that, that'd be amazing. You know, where if you could see something and and film it at the same time and then compare, you know, what you'd seen and, and what the camera saw. But um yeah, that's it. It's a good question. I came across a great Instagram video of what looks like a gray winged creature climbing up <laughs> a church steeple. And I know it's probably fake, but the reason Price. I I hold on, <laughs> hold on, let me finish. I know it's probably fake, but I wanted just to give wanted to give you an idea of what it might be like to actually observe something that what witnesses describe as the mothman i mean you know it's yeah. gray it's got those bat wings and it's just those hanging dangling legs and uh i you know i i, I know it was fake but i just wanted to give you guys an idea of what it might be actually like to like see something like that with your own eyes and it, to me i think it's definitely real 100 percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, the special effects in this video are like worse than uh like the phantom menace it's like <laughs> this is like pre-star wars prequels uh cgi but i i i do love the idea of you know animators recreating uh like what those yes the what an encounter like this might look like but um i actually think it's a little too literal i think that um some of these encounters are more strange like what we might be seeing in this video and this video could very well be a drone um i mean in all likelihood it probably is something man made but right. there's something about that weirdness to it where again you don't see the wings flap you just see this outline that looks like a human it could be a craft there're all these things that sort of contradict one another to, to kind of make you feel crazier about what you're seeing yeah it's wild you know for a lot of our 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 guests who probably don't know ronnie it's like you can just jump right into these conversations with us as if you've been a club member for ever since we started because you're just your your interests are so similar and your background is similar. Oh, totally. Tell us how oh you get God. started and uh, tell us how you got started in this and 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 just kind of yeah. what your personal paranormal history is. You know, it's interesting because when I was growing up, I've always had a fat infatuation with the strange, uh, the kind of the hidden, the mysteries and all that. I was, I grew up reading Hardy Boy books and went to my library and, and grabbed tons of books on animals. And that's when I uncovered uh, Mysterious America by Lauren Coleman and talking about cryptozoology. So I was fascinated by the idea that there were still animals out there that hadn't been classified or deemed discovered as being real. Uh, Bigfoot being the main thing, you know, Loch Ness was cool, but Bigfoot was always a huge attraction to me. Uh, and then on the other side, I grew up in a uh, Protestant uh, Pentecostal home. So almost like, you know, you go to church on Sundays, but we would go to church 
Wednesday nights there'd be a youth group thing and Sunday we'd go to church and then Sunday night they'd have service. And it was almost like it got to the point, you know, people are raising their hands and speaking in tongues and, and kind of the strange world wow. on its own. And uh, I had this experience of being what they call slain in the spirit where someone, uh, a preacher will come in. Oftentimes they would have these guys, these missionaries or people that are traveling the country and going churches, the churches coming and speaking and praying over people. And I always had my doubts about this. You see people, uh, pastors praying over somebody and kind of like, it's like this electric shock goes through them and they, and they drop down There's three ushers that grab them. And out of curiosity, I think I was 11 or so, 10 or something. And I decided to go down and be like, this, you know, this is bullshit. Let's see what this is all about. Right. And, uh, went down and the guys started praying over me, you know, hand over my head and these ushers are around me, like getting ready to catch me if I was, when I fall backwards and I'm like, what the, I'm not falling backwards. Nothing's going to happen. So he starts praying over me and it was almost like this, this, energy, the zapping happened where I couldn't really move. And I was consciously trying to fight it with my mind to stop from blacking out. Wow. And boom, it, it just kind of knocked me down. And I remember waking up from it because it was coming out of like the blackness, the darkness of space, so to speak, right. Where you're just kind of waking from sleep, but just from a, another place, like, I was waking up out of like darkness and slowly you were hearing auditory clues of people talking and, and it would just slowly like kind of the volume was kind of going up. And then my eyes at the same time was waking up. And when I got up, I felt like completely recharged. Um, And when I say recharged, I mean, absolutely no fear, complete, happiness like tranquil just feeling amazing wow and uh i had this happen to me twice when i was young (laughs) these situations but because of that and the reason that i'm talking about this is i felt like it opened a door to something else Mm -hmm. because when you're closer to the light so to speak there's darkness is kind of there as well right so it seemed to open up a doorway to being attacked in the sense of uh, dreams and fear. I had night terrors. I would, I would wake up and this is, might've been the reason why too. I even walked down the first time to, to be prayed over or whatever, what, you know, and, uh, but I had this fear of, of the night because I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would assume two, three in the morning where I couldn't open my eyes. And it was almost like I was laying on my, my stomach and I was being levitated off my bed and I would feel like the swirling energy. And for some reason it felt like I was being taken, you know? So it was like all these things were kind of happening growing up and you're kind of going, uh, this has got to be a, some kind of a dream. So I've had experiences with shadow people. I had experiences with, and at the time I had no idea that this would revisit me later on in the life, but these orange balls of light that would appear in my room at night uh, where I'd be kind of sitting there and be darkness in this orange reddish ball of light, small, like the size of a, a ping pong or a tennis ball would kind of come from my right side of my vision 
and I would see it like I'm looking forward and something was there and I would turn and when I would turn, it would just kind of disappear. And later on in life, as I started having these interactions with these orange orbs, uh, as I started getting into doing more Bigfoot research in Lemister State Forest and around here and talking to people who had experiences, it all seems to be connected. It all seems to be there is some kind of connection with UFO abductees, um, the Billy Myers of the world and these others that are people don't even know about that have this, uh, there's a weird kind of spiritual connection that they either they're kind of open to these other things that are happening out there. But I've had a lot of these weird paranormal things happening to me. And um, I've always kind of dismissed it as imaginary or kind of your mind playing tricks on you. Uh, but then as you get older and you have kids and then these things continue to kind of occur, you know, when you're sober, when you're, you're like, what the F is going on? Yeah. So it's been a lifelong kind of uh, discovery of, of all of this. And it's, it's been a personal journey. You know, um, I've had UFO experiences and Bigfoot experiences and paranormal stuff that just kind of unexplainable. I was going to just ask Ronnie, uh, just going back to that moment with the yeah. prayer, you know, you said it, you felt like it opened something, but what do you think was behind that action? Was it something religious, spiritual? Um, what did that, what does your gut tell you happened in that moment between you and the, 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 the pastor or the minister? Yeah. It, you know, it was definitely spiritual. It was definitely a feeling of, uh, I would say, for me anyways, one of those kind of a mystical experience that uh, you you would say that you're either connecting to that, that main, that core consciousness mm -hmm. uh, of what people deem as God. And I definitely had this feeling of no fear. And I had a similar uh, situation happen to me. And this was, this was odd too. And it was at this, like, they had these little camps that you would go to in the summertime. My parents would send us to different things and, and a lot of these things, I did not want to be there, you know. Um, but it was another similar situation where they had a, it was like a church kind of camp, and they had services, and the and the pastor was talking about Satan, talking about evil forces and these things that are going to try to stop you. And it was raining, and it was starting to thunder out. It was very ominous, and it was like, what is happening? Well, as he's talking and, and he said something significant where it's like, you know, he could try to strike something down. And it, at that moment, lightning hit and all the power went out. And it was complete <laughs> darkness. This guy right? was good. I was like, what the? And Satan's like, hold my beer, guys. I got to go yeah, up there and scare some campers. Exactly. Yeah, watch this. You filming? But it was, it was uncanny. Like the timing was just so – and people started screaming. And the kids were screaming in the in the church, and and uh, again it was a kind of a similar situation where he started praying like this is exactly what's happening. And I was like, you're so fearful, like what is happening? But it was another situation where this overwhelming peace came over me that I walked back. There were no lights, um, and here's me that growing up um, afraid of the dark and and you know sleeping with your covers over your head like that's going to protect you or something. Uh, but I walked back to the dorms where we're staying in complete darkness with no fear where I wouldn't have done that before unless I had that kind of this, this energy of this feeling of, it was almost like you're invincible. Um, 
and it was just a weird kind of you tapped into something that was universal that I think that we are that source that we come from or that we're all kind of going back to a cosmic it consciousness. Seems, yes, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's definitely seems to be connected to that. Um, is that mutually exclusive from what I would deem as the phenomenon? So I, I imagine, you know, the whole, this whole paranormal aspect of the phenomenon that it manipulates, that it maneuvers. Is this mm. different than, than what we would term under the umbrella spirituality or are somehow these two things connected in, in your opinion? You know, it, that's a great question. It, it, to me, it seems more positive and um, hopeful and warm and loving as opposed to the other side of this other stuff where, not necessarily as uh, you know, you're you're scared by it, but there's something else kind of going on. I feel like there is maybe a yin and yang kind of thing happening, yeah. but uh, you know, like it's a different kind of energy. But I think it's all coming from the same. But whether that's just us, where you know, man fears what he doesn't know. So initially, we're going to be terrified. Um, you know, someone seeing a, a Bigfoot creature is going to freak out, seeing what the thing looks like, but. Um, people that have had interactions will tell you that, you know, oh, they're talking to me, tele do telepathy and all these other things that you're kind of like, what? <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people have encountered these strange um, relationships and, and these things that seem to be moving towards, you know, the, this time that we're in now that seems very apocalyptic. <laughs> and, this uh, uh, euphoric feeling that you're describing, Ronnie, feels yeah. like a little bit different than like what Keel talks about, that sort mm. of cosmic trickster element that seems to reach out from the beyond and, you know, convince people that they're having a religious experience when maybe the force behind that is manipulating them into thinking Correct. that or yeah. uh, might show up as a UFO or a ghost, depending on uh, how they want to make manifest themselves and what sort of narrative they uh, the trickster element wants to uh, manipulate the user into think that they're having. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, for sure. This sounds a little bit different from that. Maybe it, that's it, the that's what yeah, you're describing. It it is, and it definitely seems to be two different types of energies or what have you. Uh, but I've always been fascinated with someone like uh, Betty Andreessen, who had her first encounter here at, in, in my hometown in Lemonster, uh, in Monsterland out here, and um, she was very religious. She was very uh, or spiritual, um, was very in tune with nature, very artistic and draw, and that's that's me too, where I was just always out in the woods and catching snakes and, you know, gone all day long and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there seems to be, they, they select people for whatever reason, whoever this, these higher intelligences are or, or one individual, you know, um, but this whole, the, the whole ride, it just seems to be coming, culminating to, to something. Um, and what, again, what we're kind of going through now, I think there's going to be more revealing of, of what all this stuff is. Interesting. Did this experience reinforce your religion growing up or spirituality? Where are you at with that today, yeah. if I may ask? Yeah, totally. Um, for me, when I um, – I never felt – even with having those initial experiences, um, I never kind of felt – like I was in the right place where I was supposed to be. Things kind of felt a little off, even though they were positive and everything else. 
where people were raising their hands and all this stuff, I was kind of like, this just seems a little bit more, I don't know. But when I moved to um, Southern California, I was living in Orange County and Costa Mesa for a while. And that's when I started, I was into martial arts when I was young. So I started getting introduced to the concepts of, of Buddhism and, uh, and all that. But I think once it, it kind of opened me up to um, the world in the sense that, you know, uh, you can't have this God that just every other religion is bad. And this is the only good one. There has to be something where everyone can, can kind of walk this path, no matter what culture, or, you know, gender, all this different stuff. And that's when I started getting into uh, Buddhism and also started really, again, a, another attraction to, I think more of the natural world with native Americans and shamanism and you know that everything has this spiritual energy or this chi as yeah. the chinese would call it you know kind of running through so i was always fascinated by that and that there was some kind of um i guess interconnection with with all of this you know this this whole existence all of us we're all coming from this this source so it just seemed to keep gravitating towards towards that so i consider myself more spiritual now than i do religious or you know I, I don't necessarily go to church every sunday that kind of type of thing but more of a a, a place where your your mindset and a, a way of life i mean we all seem approach. to be describing the the same thing across cultures you know and across time yeah. as well i mean you know when you look at the common denominators you know of course there are different in major religions but these major mystical and um, spiritual experiences that people are describing all sort of hit the same markers, you know? For sure. Yeah. They all seem to have that same <laughs> message, um, which is sounds very hippie and, you know, what have you, but it, that, that message of love and that we're all connected, we're going to take care of each other and all this stuff and that we're, destroying the earth and everything else. Yeah. Well, um, if there's one thing I learned from reading Mothman prophecies is that John Keel was not a fan of hippies. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so Ronnie, how did this translate? How did you get from that point, this kid, you know, scared of yeah. Satan and then feeling no fear at summer <laughs> camp to, I mean, what would you call yourself? Are you a Bigfoot hunter? That always seems like a harsh word because yeah, uh, that implies would, you're going to kill something. But, yeah, uh, no, I, I would just say, uh, you know, I was asked that before too. You know, Bigfoot hunter. I'm like, I wouldn't call myself a Bigfoot hunter. I, I would say just a uh, a researcher into the, into this kind of world because I do believe that people have had experiences and stories, and I've had my own personal experience uh, again where, um same time frame too which i always find kind of fascinating that 10 to 12 year year old range seemed to be pretty pivotal pivotal for me uh but this place where i had um heard about was Monsterland, and i had no idea how it got its name but it was just a place that people would go mostly high school kids would go and have you know bonfires and parties um there were sand dunes and power lines so people had four wheelers and ATVs and you can't have uh, any of those really in Massachusetts and, and ride anywhere. So everyone was kind of illegally doing this and they had, you know, so I would go and meet my friends there. We'd go ride the the sand dunes with our, our bikes, BMX bikes when we were younger. And oftentimes I would have to go behind what is uh, Fallbrook school near my house. So it was like five houses down and I would go through these trails that would connect 
to Monsterland. And there was a trail on my way to this place that it could be the, the sunniest day, gorgeous out. And you look down this trail and it was just dark and just gave you the heebie-jeebies. And I would pedal a little bit faster every time I went past this point. <laughs> <laughs> and one day, <clears throat> again, just comes in waves where you're kind of feeling fearless. Uh, you know. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go check this out. And I'm by myself and I'm going to go meet my friends and like, I got to check this out. Why am I, you know, but it, there's a reason why you have the, this, you're picking up on these energies and totally. having these feelings. And so whether it's to lure you or what have you, but I decided to go up this, up this trail, I had to get off my bike and walk it up. And once I got into the trail, I got on the bike and I started pedaling in. And what I noticed instantly upon getting into this trail, it was almost like you walked into this other world because it just seemed to look different. It had this different vibe. But there was no animal sounds. I could hear the the squeaking of my of my bike kind of coming through the trail, but I didn't hear any birds or see anything, and it was just dead quiet. And that really spooked me out. And as I kind of moved down the trail, it started to come to this choke point. It got really narrow, and there was just green all around. This is like in the in June time frame. And I stopped and I put my feet down on the ground. I was kind of straddling the the bike. And I just stopped. And for whatever reason, I describe it to friends and, and people in the book, too. It was almost like I hit this wall. Like, I just couldn't move anymore. And it wasn't necessarily of my control, if that makes any sense. Um, it was almost like something just was just too intense that you kind of like, I, something's off. And so I waited a few seconds. And the forest erupted in front of me to the left of the trail uh trees shrubs everything moved like something like the size of a moose was going to come out of the woods and something came out of the woods went across the trail and i couldn't see it and it went into the woods on the other side of the trail and then just stopped but when it did this it was the stomping of feet like it reverberated through the soles of my feet of something stomping on two legs like an elephant kind of going through and i couldn't for the fucking life of me, figure out why I couldn't see it. You couldn't, were you looking at it or you couldn't looking turn your head? straight ahead and nothing, like something was moving and making all this racket and noise, but I couldn't see it. So the best way I could describe it is the movie Predator. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I couldn't visually see anything shimmering, you know, but there was nothing there, but something was there that had to be enormous to make this type of racket and and it was for me to feel right exactly now at this time even though i started getting into uh, ufos and all that kind of stuff in bigfoot it was the furthest thing from my mind but as soon as that stopped i like kind of regained you know i was like i gotta get the fuck out of here and i pedaled so fast i didn't even go meet my friends i ended up going home and I was pedaling home, just trying to go in through my mind. I go, was that a bear? Was that a deer? Was that, Did I just not see something? But it was there, and it didn't make sense. And it rattled my brain for days that eventually just kind of gave up, like, whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, it wasn't until years later, as I started researching more of these Bigfoot stories and, and more of the ones on the high strangeness side that have elements of them disappearing or balls of light or cloaking and visibility. And I was like, 
holy crap. And, and I found out why they called this area Monsterland was because people were seeing Bigfoot creatures going back to the late 1800s in this area. And that's why they called it Monsterland. And I was like, holy crap. Wow. And I started making these connections. And uh, and then later on, um, helped uncover some footprints in, in Lemison State Forest that led to me to be on Finding Bigfoot. And that just kind of steamrolled. It was almost like I had no control of it. Things were just coming into my path that, here you go, follow this. Here, you know, it was like, take the red pill. <laughs> Tell us a little bit uh, about that, Ronnie, that you actually were able to cast some of the first Bigfoot prints to come out of Monsterland. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there were, there were rumors of people seeing creatures and having stories and, and still today, no one wants to talk about that because they're going to say you're fucking crazy. You know, what were you on? What were you smoking? But there are a lot of highly concentrated stories that don't make it to any kind of Bigfoot reporting website. They're just spoken orally between friends and family and that's it. Um, so there was a time where I had um, was bringing my my daughter to school, and my wife had uh, a friend that she had grown up with. His son was in her class, so we we became instant friends. We we're talking, and he was asking about California. He's like, oh, "Where where was some of the best places you've gone?" And I said, "You know, Redwood Forest is friggin' amazing. It just has this this energy to it." And I said, "When when I first went there, it was like." prehistoric you could see something like a sasquatch running around and he starts dying laughing he's like a sasquatch you mean a bigfoot i was like yeah he goes you believe in that shit i'm like there's too many stories <laughs> you know for it not to be real or, or the native american stories there's just so many like all the tribes have different names for it i said there's just there's something to it and uh and so he was just dying laughing about it and it wasn't until like four or five days later that his brother who I would meet later on called him and said, you know, I don't know what to make of this. He's, you're not going to believe me, but he goes, I was with Julie, his wife, and they went for a hike in Lemister state forest. There was nobody around. It was, it was late June. Um, and it was a sun, I think it was a Sunday or a Monday and 90 degrees. Everyone else is at the beach. No one was out walk, you know, hiking and, uh, the couple came to this fork uh, in, in the path, and they were looking for the reservoir, no town reservoir, to go and f- kind of sneak in some fishing and jump in the pool, jump in the lake, and go swimming in the reservoir. And uh, they argued in which direction to go. And his brother uh, Bill, at the time, noticed where this fork in the path went. That there was this kind of uh, an area of mud that was just perfect, like a fresh jar of peanut butter when you open it up, it's just super smooth. And he's like, it just seemed odd to him. And he just, his eyes focused on it. He said for a few seconds and he kind of like zoned out on it and then, okay, well, let's walk down the path. Well, they, they started going, you know, 10, 15 minutes, realized they go in the wrong direction. So they circle back and head back to the other path at that fork. And he comes to that stretch of that mud and he notices there's indentations in the mud now. Where there wasn't so he's before. Like, correct. Wow. And this is 15 minutes. And they know that they're the only ones around. So he's like, oh, you know, this must be a deer, you know, something that had ran through. And as he approaches the mud, he looks down and sees that there's footprints and there's six of them, six footprints. And the first, first footprint he looks at, he sees five toes 
and it looks like a human print. And the hair on the back of his neck goes up because he sees the toes and he go and he's a hunter. So he's like, this isn't a bear. But when he looks up and he sees the next footprint, he realizes it's a, about a six foot <laughs> spread from one foot to the next. Wow. Whoa. So this stride is is pretty wide, and it's about three and a half inches deep into the mud. He's about 240 pounds, so he sticks his foot next to it and tries to push down with his weight and couldn't even break an inch. So he's like, this thing's big, heavy, and, and notice just that came through here. <laughs> yeah, and notice that it's running from the woods onto the trail and back to the woods, and what alarms him even more is that he sees uh, deer prints alongside these footprints. And he's like, is this thing fucking chasing a deer? Wow. Like, what human being can chase a deer? So he instantly picks up a rock, freaks out. Uh, So he tells his brother this with the phone call, and he's like in tears. He's like, dude, I haven't slept in, in days like this. He goes, I'm just thinking of these Bigfoot stories from Monsterland. He's like, oh, my God. He's like, you're going to talk to this dude, Ronnie. He's like, uh, he's totally into this shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, he calls me. We get on the phone. I go to Kevin's house and uh, he call, his brother calls and we're talking. And I said, tell me, you know, I want to hear him because like, I want to hear this guy's voice. And he was trembling. I was like, it just happened. Like it just happened 10 minutes ago. And I was like, this, this is unbelievable. And he said, listen, I am not fucking going back there. And he goes, and I want to go back there. I want to find them, the prince. Uh, but I'm not going back there unless someone has a gun. And I said, dude, I have my license to carry. Let's let's go. And his brother, too, he's like, let's go. And so we decided to go that next morning. And now it was almost like eight or nine days since he had this encounter that we finally went out there. Uh, and we found the tracks. And when we found the tracks... And I saw the toes and I saw the stride and I saw how deep they were in the shape. And it's like, this isn't a bear. This is like a human looking kind of footprint. I thought of all those different books and all those different pictures I've seen of supposed Sasquatch tracks where it's a straight line and, you know, humans don't have that gait, the ability to kind of do this where you're kind of walking almost over your own feet. The, the hair on the back of my neck went up and I looked, I was looking at something I knew that this was not something that every everyone will find, you know, yeah. like this, this was unique. And I had brought, um, not a plaster of Paris, but it was like, you get these little kits for your kids to kind of make their, put their handprints in and, and make a little mold. Right. And so I had a material from that, from my sister that she had given to me for one of our kids that we had never used. We had in the closet. So I brought that with me. And I only had enough of that material to cast one of those those footprints. My son has um, like the little uh, the little kit with that comes with the little flags that say Bigfoot evidence. I'm imagining you planting <laughs> a little awesome. flag right there, <laughs> guys. Bigfoot Bryce, evidence, awesome. Bryce, you <laughs> bought awesome. him that. You bought him that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> he didn't pick that out at the store. <laughs> so so we casted one of those prints, and it's like that's all we had. So we picked the best print that had the toes and everything else, and. Maybe a few minutes later, we hear four-wheelers coming down the trail, and we jumped right in front of them because we were trying to get this thing to dry, Wow! the cast. And uh, if we weren't there, they would have ridden right over the tracks. They would have been gone. So I looked at the timing of it was crazy. I said, you know what? I remembered John Green 
um, in one of his books talks about they had found some tracks and it wasn't drying in time. So they decided to cut out the earth around the track and pull out the earth, the whole thing. So that's what we did. We, we had the box from the plaster kit and we cut out the entire um, print Incredible. with the earth, with the cast in it and took it out of there because we were like, this is going to get damaged. No one's going to see this again. Um, and I, well, I told, oh. yeah, I, I just, I told them re- to report the sighting. Let's get it online. Let's talk about it. And that just kind of developed into this whole firestorm of, of stories and everything else. But so what's bouncing around in my head is you're telling, you're telling us this, Ronnie is like, not only was the timing perfect for when you arrived to get that plaster cast, but also when that guy arrived to see it in the first place, it's almost as if the phenomenon or the, Creature was like, hey, pay attention to this mud puddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you walk back here, I'm going to leave something for you. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and, and what was made- fascinating is, is that he prayed that morning. <laughs> he got up, he said, and prayed that morning. He said, God, give me and Julie something to do together, like something positive, that whatever. And this is what kind of happened uh, from that. That's crazy. It was weird. <laughs> my two questions are do you have a picture of this cast that you can share with our audience and yes two yep. did you shoot at those atvers <laughs> <laughs> get the fuck out um, of the one, way. <laughs> <laughs> one yes I, I do have a picture of that cast that'd um, be great it, it was uh we we did end up going on finding Bigfoot. It was uh, episode two, season two, when the when the show first originally started. There was a whole episode on Rhode Island, um, so we we're able to get that on there. And, and I contacted the newspapers and everything else because I just had seen before where that could happen, where they're going to twist things of you know timelines and things like that. But uh, it uh, it just seemed to open this door to this, this other kind of hidden world that people have, have been experiencing around here. Uh, and then UFOs and orange orbs seem to come into play too, which was, which was really fascinating to me. Well, I want to get to all that and I want to hear more about monster land, but before we do that, Ronnie, we have a game that we like to play with all of our guests. I'm going to go down a list of phenomenon and you're going to, you're going to have to choose between two, Two sides of the argument. If you believe in it, you say believe it. If you don't, you say bullshit. If you're on the fence, uh, you got to pick one. This is a game that we like to call Bullshit or Believe It. (laughs) All right. Are you ready, Ronnie? I'm ready. On your mark. Get set. Ghosts. Believe it. UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot. Believe it. Little Gray Aliens. Believe it. Out-of-body experiences. Believe it. Demonic Possession. Believe it. The Bermuda Triangle. Bullshit. Alien Abductions. Believe it. Loch Ness Monster. Bullshit. Time Travel. Believe it. Mothman. Believe it. Reincarnation. Believe it. ESP. Believe it. Haunted Houses. Believe it. The Illuminati. Uh, Bullshit. There's a face on Mars. 
Bullshit. Skunk ape. Believe it. Heaven. Believe it. Hell. Believe it. Sea serpents. Believe it. Poltergeist. Believe it. Chupacabra. Uh, bullshit. <laughs> Atlantis. <laughs> Believe it. Life on other planets. Believe it. Parallel dimensions. Believe it. The apocalypse. Uh, now? <laughs> Believe it. Yeah. Life after <laughs> death. That one has a strange intonation now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, believe it. All right. There you go. Well done, Mr. LeBlanc. <laughs> a lot of beliefs there. Wow. Yeah, yeah I was going to say you're definitely uh, someone we know through Bryce. You're in good company, um, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bermuda Triangle, bullshit. Why, why does that one uh, tick your not pass the sniff test for you? Um. I, I think it's not as consistent in the sense of um, in that whole kind of triangle, that whole vicinity, you would have constant, constant issues, but it seems to be, you know, when you have a disappearance, it's kind of blamed on the Bermuda, Bermuda triangle. Right. Um, so I think that there's some, you know, weather anomalies and there's definitely areas that have higher energy than others. And there, I do believe like, you know, there's a lot of hot spots around the country that seem to have what people would deem as portals or some kind of. You're talking my game. You know, like there's just there's some weird uh, consistency with reports in certain sections that seem to have the UFO, the Bigfoot sightings, and the strange creatures all in the same area, and often always in the same uh, time frame. Um, so I think there could be these these uh, windows, like John Keel talks about, and um so you can see why we were so lucky to get a guy like ronnie leblanc to come on board as a as a team member of expedition bigfoot i mean you know <laughs> here we had this opportunity to go uh you know uh look for evidence of, of bigfoot and we had our we had our survivalists and we had our scientists and we were just missing one piece of the puzzle and i thought uh you know, we were so lucky to get a guy like Ronnie to come in oh, with, thanks, his, with his paranormal knowledge and and his openness to the ideas of of some of these stranger aspects of Bigfootery. You know, I've even mentioned to the guys before, Ronnie, and I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but, you know, I, I sort of got the feeling that you might have brought some of this strange stuff <laughs> we encountered yeah. with you. You know, does that make sense? Does, does any of that <laughs> ring true? Totally. Um, when I initially got the call from uh, Pete, Richie, the executive producer, and said, listen, there's an opportunity right now. This is, you know, it's a TV show, but it's an expedition first. This is a real, real expedition where we're, 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 uh, we have an amazing team put together and explain what was going on and who, who was involved. And I told him, I said, uh, I said, I would, I, first off, going to get the, the green light from the wife, but I said, if I, if I come, I guarantee you we're going to have some shit go down because it just seems to kind of been a part of my life growing up. And, and now that it seems that this is a reason why I have a purpose of being there mm. and um, I seem to kind of attract it for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still trying to understand this times so I've tried to get away from it because it was, I think weeks, a couple of weeks prior to getting that call that I, I told my wife, I said, been doing this for like you know a little over a decade now 
in the sense of really putting my time into it and I have a family and everything else. And I said, I think I'm going to take a break. I think I'm going to hang it up for a little bit. And then I get this call and she's like, you got to do this. You know, this is, <laughs> this, there's a reason for this. You know, nobody just gets this phone call of all the people in the, in the country. You're getting this call. Like there's a reason for it. And well, uh, speaking so, of yeah. taking a break, we're going to take a quick one. When we come back, we're going to hear all about Ronnie's adventures in Monsterland and beyond. All right, we're back with Ronnie LeBlanc. Um, let me ask you a question, Ronnie. I want to go yeah. back briefly to that story of when you were a childhood, because this is kind of in uh, lingering in the back of my mind. And I'm a visual guy, so forgive me. When sure. you saw that invisible creature in what you call Monsterland, or, or didn't see it, I guess, right. um, yeah. could you <laughs> see like uh, trees or bushes moving around it? Yes. Was it like pushing physical things aside? Okay. Yes. It was like. <clears throat> So my eyes were trying to capture some kind of an outline of something. And it, it was one of the craziest things I've ever experienced because there was nothing there to see, but there was trees and things being moved away that you're waiting for something to emerge. And wow. then on the other side of the trail, that's happening again. And you're like, it, it just didn't compute. And again, it it was not um, Bigfoot did not enter my mind at right. all. At all, it was like I knew all the animals around there. It's, you know, it's a bear, is a moose, is a deer, or something. But and the footsteps, feeling those, and not seeing something, and then you know, much later on, it was almost like this epiphany, this moment where, um, reading these stories, I got, I was like, oh my god, I think I was you know, had this, this scenario. And here's where it gets really interesting is that, and I, I talk about one of these stories in my, in the latest book uh, from Monsterland. And um, there was a Bigfoot researcher that in my first book, I talk about the trail off of Elm street going into the Lemister state forest <laughs> and funny, right? Yeah. Uh, with Elm, uh, Freddie. And uh, he had gone down, read the book, went and checked out that particular trail and he went off trail and found these little small kind of tree structures. And there were multiple ones all around this area past like off the trail. So you couldn't even see them. And he got the notion. He was like, man, this almost looks like a nursery, like a Bigfoot nursery where they're dropping their kids off and they're hanging out over here. Wow. And as he was checking this out, he said he got hollered at by what sounded like a great ape and that it screamed at him that he was so frightened that he just took off running. He he just lost all wits about him and took off. And he told me the story at, at a conference, a Bigfoot conference, like a, a month or so after and had this experience. And he continued to go back. He's 61. So he's not a, he's not 22 year old kid trying to get on TV. Um, he continued to go back and, and I think for a, a good year had nothing happen. And just recently, this would be about a year now, he went down that same trail, Elm Street, spent the whole day, nothing. And as he's walking out and coming off the trail, going into the parking lot area, 
just sand, gravel and everything, walk, kind of getting to his car. He, he turns and says he takes one last glance down the trail and just that one last look. And he looks down the trail, he sees nothing. And, and as he kind of turns his head and scans back, he sees this figure standing next to the tree. And it's about six, seven feet tall, covered in black hair. And he's like, oh my, his heart starts racing. He's like, oh my God. And he's looking at it. He's trying to look for a face and he doesn't see anything and he can't tell. And he looks down the trail again and knows there's a hiker coming up the trail, walking towards him, but he's a good distance away. And he looks back at this figure and the figure turns back at him and looks at him and they make eye contact. And it's like, it's a Bigfoot. And he notices that this creature was behind the tree and looking, noticing or waiting for this person to come up the trail. And he said it was like the Patterson Gimlin film where this thing then, you know, looks back at him, looks back at this person, come up the trail, looks back at him and then turns and starts to walk away into the woods. And he's just like, this is amazing. Can't believe he had this sighting. And he said, this is when it gets crazier is that as it starts to nonchalantly walk away into the wood line from its hand, the hand starts to disappear. It starts to cloak up the hand, up the arm, and then slowly the whole body, as it's walking away into the woods, it goes invisible like a freaking ghost. Wow. And well, you, you know what yeah. happened there is his, his brother went back in time to the 1950s and prevented <laughs> his Bigfoot parents from getting together. So he vanished. Yeah. Wait a, a little, minute. That's a little back to the future. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's so, fucking crazy. I mean, that crazy, is a classic right? dematerialization exactly. report. That's insane. So, and this is in Lemister of all fucking places. And um, this was around the same time frame too of another uh, visual sighting from a friend of mine that was seeing these strange um, balls of light, these these drones, as he would call them, from his house. Um, outside of Lemister State Forest, a little west of of this location. And I would say maybe a couple of miles at the most. Um, But he was having these weird sightings and he said they're they're drones and they're flying like by the window. I feel like they're looking in the house. I don't know who's doing this. And uh, he had a police officer come over. He called the police several times and said, I'm going to shoot one of these things out of the sky if it comes over my property. He's like, you can't do that. You can't do that. He's like, we'll send an officer down, whatever. So they send an officer down and they're talking. He's explaining what they look like. And he goes, they seem pretty big. And he's, and uh, he, he's like, there's some kind of drone. So anyways, as they're talking and they see one coming up, heading towards his property, he goes, there's one right now. <laughs> and this thing, the police officer grabs his flashlight, pulls it out. And this thing flies right over them and goes right over his house. And the police officer has it on a flashlight. And I have it in the in the book as well, the story. And the thing is the size of a door and it's completely silent. There are no rotors. There's nothing. And it's the shape, this like weird diamond shape. And it just flies right over the house. And the cop looks right over to him and he goes, that's no fucking drone. And we talked a little bit further. We found out that this police officer has had some experiences with UFOs as a kid and everything else and grew up in this area. 
But my friend told me about this and said, what is going on? And I said, you know, go out there at night and start sending out thoughts that you want them. You want to experience something. You want to see them. And about a week later, he has a Bigfoot sighting. And on his on his front lawn. And I don't think it was a coincidence. I really feel like there is some kind of connection. But his sighting was that he, he couldn't sleep. He got up at 3.34 in the morning. Uh, again, this is summertime. I think within the around the around the same time that this other person had this other sighting, within a month or two months time frame. Different location. Uh, but he went out felt like he was being watched as he was setting up the sprinkler for, for the morning to get going and turned. And there was a creature hiding, like leaning behind a telephone pole and leaned over and they made eye contact. This thing turned and ran across the street in two steps and jumped over a stone wall and, and just stopped. And he ran into the house and was completely freaked out. And he said, it looked like a hunchback chimpanzee. And, and I'm like, what is going on? And the, so these are like sightings that are, these experiences are happening. People are visually and, – and from people that I I trust, and especially this, this particular guy, Tom, um, they're telling the truth. They have nothing to gain but to lose credibility or lose business. This guy's a business owner. The last thing he wants is his identity uh, <laughs> that he you know, had this experience. But Totally. I said, you know, you have to, sh- you have to share this and keep it anonymous because I guarantee you other people have had the same encounter or they live in the area and they've had same situations that you're going to corroborate those um, instances and everything else. So just this, this area seems to be a hotbed of that, but there seems to be some kind of connection with the UFOs and the balls of light. Where exactly is the, is this area? I mean, unless it's a place that you don't want people, no, you know. No, I give I give, going. my whole thing has been to I think people researchers need to reveal locations for the most part that um so people can have these experiences too in the sense that they can then go this shit's real. If you say, you know, this is happening, I'm not going to tell you where it is. I mean, so this is in Lemonster State Forest. This is right in Lemonster, Mass. Uh, Lemonster State's about 4,500 acres, encompasses five cities. And if you go down like Elm Street Trail, um, and there's another trail off of Granite Street. Um, now, here's the interesting thing. The the uh, the geology of the area, there's a lot of granite, and there's a lot of black quartz. So yeah. you have a lot of piezoelectricity <laughs> elements in that that um, – there's something to do, I think, with with the the energy of the area too. David um, Politis makes a lot of those connections in his uh, yeah. missing four one one novels, and you know it goes back to what he was saying too. These places are named like that for a reason: Correct. Devil's Peak, Devil's Park, yep. Monsterland. I mean, these places have these names for a specific reason. You know, Ronnie, I, I got to ask you, man, and feel free to speculate. I, I mean, we sure. all know nobody really knows for sure, but. What do you think the connection is between Bigfoot's orange orbs and UAPs or UFOs? Um, just in my, and again, just in the, what I've kind of looked at is when you talk to Bigfoot researchers uh, like Ron Moorhead and others that have been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years, Kawani Lasparitis, 
um, initially they thought Bigfoot is a creature, an animal, an undiscovered primate. And as they've kind of gone through and talked to Native Americans and had their own experiences and there's a lot of weird shape-shifting and cloaking and all this stuff kind of going on, there is a connection with these balls of light in these areas that have Bigfoot encounters. Um, there's stories of Native American shamans having the ability to change into balls of light. Mm. And so there's talk that Bigfoot or Sasquatch is this kind of people, this tribe that has these abilities to do these things uh, and that they actually are kind of interdimensional. So the Native Americans talk about having one foot in the spiritual realm and one in the, in the physical realm. And uh, I think these stories have some credence to them. There is some truth. Uh, truth is stranger than fiction. So I feel like there is some elements of this. And just from my own personal experiences and others, that there seems to be some abilities that they have that are not strictly just kind of camouflage, but something else going kind of going on. Um, what do you think that is? Yeah. Are these otherworldly abilities or do you think they're just uh... – you know, abilities manifested here through a, an evolutionary process of being, you know, sort of one with nature. Right. Um, I, I want to say, I want to stay grounded and scientific and say that it's, you know, it's simply some kind of camouflage ability or, you know, so many animals can just, you know, stand still and you wouldn't even see them uh, based on their, how they're designed and what they look like. But I feel like there's something else going on because you have these other elements with with mind speak and you have uh, reports of them being seen. Bigfoot's coming out of crafts and going into crafts and yeah. being seen with big cats um, in areas that should not have big cats. So just kind of high strangeness kind of things. And I think that they there is some kind of element to them. Um, and again, I. I it doesn't make sense. It's tough to wrap your head around it, but I think there is some kind of interdimensional quality to them just because there's too many. And it, that doesn't mean that every Bigfoot is this, but maybe there is some kind of ones that are here that live here. And there's other ones that look like them or, or what have you, but there's some strange shape shifting stories too, of, of people seeing Bigfoot's uh, changing into like a coyote or shape shifting into different things. And you wonder, are these, you know, these, these trickster kind of spirits, the Jin and that kind of stuff, you know? Wow. How do you reconcile that when you're with colleagues like, you know, Russell Accord and yeah. Dr. Mar Maria Mayer? Like, is that something that, I mean, we saw a little <laughs> bit of that play out on Expedition Bigfoot. I felt like you had a really good working relationship with both of those. So how do you approach because um, you hear, especially in the UFO field, there's a lot of contention, people arguing sure. over beliefs and stuff. So how do you, yeah. um, when you're dealing with people who really are coming at this field from a biological, you know, that this is a biological entity, a bipedal right. primate that's native to this planet. Um, how do you deal with that gap in, um, I don't, you know, I don't want to say belief, but in thinking right. about or approach? Yeah, I feel like, you know, most people have to have a personal experience for them to have their worldview shifted. They have to mm. have that paradigm shift. And there has to be a moment that creates that to happen. And uh, Russ, uh, military, you know, just straight up, this is flesh and blood. 
Um, but he captured something <laughs> on thermal that he still cannot yeah. <laughs> wrap his head around and how it just disappeared and just blinked out. And, um, you know, I told them, you know, I, I have like, no, there's no organization that I'm affiliated with that I have to say this or that. Like, if you don't believe what I have to tell you or, or buy it, I don't give a shit. But I'm going to tell you, this is what I experienced. I'm not afraid to share the high strangeness, these elements of reports from UFO stories to Bigfoot stuff that people live out, leave out because it's too strange. That's the element of the puzzle that we need to figure it out. So I want to bring that back into the conversation. And so I want to also say, just watch, <laughs> see what happens. And, and yeah. Dr. Mayer was one that um, has had some previous experiences with things on the spiritual side. Um, and that, I, again, the same thing that we're all kind of like aware of, get ready, because there's going to be some crazy shit going to kind of happen. Um, and they experienced it. And at the end of this whole thing, they were kind of like, what's going on with this stuff that we haven't revealed that happened, um, that maybe will get revealed later on. Um, that is kind of unexplainable and things that have left both of them scratching their heads that just wow. made me smile and giggle, <laughs> you know, cause I'm like, this is awesome because I, I want to see, I, I feel like, and I don't know if you guys have seen this parallel, but I feel like there's been this like truth embargo on with UFOs as well as Bigfoot in that same time period, you know, the over 50 years, there seems to be something kind of going on. And th I believe there really is that kind of connection to, to it. I would agree. I think we would all agree that if we're going to get closer to solving this puzzle and, and, and who knows, uh, highly doubtful that we ever will, but if we're going to get closer to uh, really coming to grasps with what's taking place, uh, then we're going to have to include these stranger aspects of the UFO field, yeah. of the Bigfoot field, and of the paranormal field. We're going to have to start looking at this from all the different angles and and not excluding the clues that we don't like to to fit into our paradigm. And 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 so you know, with that being said, I, I think uh, you know. Thanks for bringing it to him like that. I thought it was, it all played out so great and hopefully we'll get another chance to do it again really soon. I know. Same. It's wild. Yeah. It's, it's so wild too, because it, you know, and again, coming so fresh from the Mothman prophecies read, like it just does. I think you guys are totally right, but it's also frustrating because it, you know, it feels like this phenomenon, whatever it is, is a completely unreliable narrator. Yeah. That just as soon as you go, Oh, Bigfoot can transform himself into an orange orb and transport into other dimensions. The game switches, as yeah, John Keel says. Right. And definitely. suddenly it's not appearing in that form. And, you know, it really makes you wonder just what the hell is going on. Uh, Ronnie, oh, yeah. what is what is the weirdest? Could you maybe I wanted to maybe close this episode out with maybe what's the weirdest story you've heard of come from an eyewitness out of monster land that really pushes your limits, perhaps, of 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 hmm. of your uh, perception in, in this realm? You know, uh, I what I find interesting, too, with with when it comes to monster land. So there's been talks of. um sacrifices at one point in time 
1989, Lemister High was known as Suicide High. They, we had over 60 suicide attempts within a six-month span Whoa. in Lemonster. And several students throughout that year had, had killed themselves in various different ways. And um, the parents, you know, I have kids and it's just devastating to think, think that. But, um, you know, parents were trying to get answers. And there was talk, there was rumor that a stranger came to town and started turning the kids on to Satanism and all this stuff. And they started sacrificing animals. Cats were disappearing. Dogs were disappearing. And uh, there was an area um, behind Burbank Hospital at the time that they had find, found remains. And also there's been evidence of sacrifices found within Monsterland. There's a trail known as Hell's Highway um, off of this. And, and like you mentioned earlier, Bryce, too, a lot of the Native <laughs> I mean, Americans. Yeah, come on. Yeah, Sounds they, nice. they, yeah, they go. Nice his devils, whatever. And, you know, they're named that way because there's something going on. So there's also been reports of some strange, like in the Fitchburg area, which is known as the twin city of, of Lemonster, these low frequencies that are being emitted from the area. And people have talked, speculated, you know, governments, all this crap, but um, there was something that kind of something happened, something evil was kind of going on, but it, as soon as people, these kids were starting to kill themselves, this stranger disappeared. And it was almost like the devil came to town, you know? And, uh, one of these, uh, the, the chief of police, um, at the time, um, his, his daughter was a, a homicide detective for, for, uh, Lums police department. And they were in Monsterland. There were actually, there was a girl that, um, had disappeared, um, two kids finally admitted a year later that, and this was in the early nineties that, um, she had overdosed. Um, they were doing drugs out in Monsterland and stuff. She overdosed and they freaked out. So they just, they buried her, like hit her body. And so they had admitted this and the, they were trying to locate the body and the detective was out in the area and they told where it was and they couldn't find anything. So they're starting, you know, what is going on? Well, you talk about the world, you know, with, with consciousness yeah. and everything else. And this detective kind of came to her wit's end and closed her eyes. She then talked to the deceased in her mind and just said, listen, we're trying to find you, your evidence, your, you know, your body, we're trying to give your parents closure, blah, blah, blah. And opened her eyes and she said, you know, give me a sign. And when she said she opened her eyes, she looked down and there was a femur bone at her foot. What? I swear to God, a femur, human femur bone was at her foot. And she said from that point, she was like, you know, they found that and then they were able to find the rest of the body. Like, and this was told to me from her brother. She's like, tell Ronnie this story. I've never told anybody this. I want him to know. And that this happened. And I felt like it was such a, like, who, how, you know what I mean? I have so many questions with that. Like something grabbed that bone, you know, and placed it to her. Something heard her thoughts and responded with an action 
and I've had, you know, situations in with receiving marbles, you know, requesting them from Bigfoot, like, and getting them. So it's like, is this something that was given to her from them or is this coming from somewhere else? But that's to me is, is amazing. And it's not necessarily having anything to do with UFOs or Bigfoot, but having to do with someone that has since passed in this area that somehow responded and delivered an item, which I don't know how that materialized. You know what I'm saying? So there's, there's something else going on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that whole story what, just sounds like a straight up Stephen King novel. Totally. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Wow. And they just seem to, they, they seem, and there's a lot of these stories that they just seem to be, I always go, okay, I always try to keep an open mind and I always go, okay, of course someone's going to try to make up stuff or they're going to try to say this or that. But I always look at what do they have to gain, you know, and for, for her, this homicide detective, there's nothing for her to gain with this, you know, like, um, so yeah, just fascinating. And that just the area and, and the people that have lived here have had these, uh, these experiences and they continued to occur. And and this is just a microcosm of what is happening all throughout the country, all throughout the world, really, you know, I think a lot of these cities and these towns have these stories and legends that uh, are embedded in truth, um, but are just so hard to accept uh, wow. because they're just out. So out there. Well, the book is called Monsterland Encounters with UFOs, Bigfoot and Orange Orbs and its sequel Monsterland Shaman Sasquatch Synchronicity and High Strangeness. Uh, it's the perfect time to go on Amazon Prime and uh, get them yourself. Read them during this special time. <laughs> Ronnie, yeah. it's been an Thanks so much, Ronnie. Oh, thank you, guys. you on this show, man. Ronnie, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me at, at Author Ronnie uh, on all those uh, for handles. And then, uh, like Bryce said, you can find the book Monsterland on Amazon. It's on BarnesandNoble.com as well. And uh, yeah, we're we're just waiting, sitting tight, hoping to hear about season two and if we if we got it and where we might be going. I got a good feeling you guys will be back for sure. I hope you so. Know. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank Ronnie uh, LeBlanc uh, for being on the show. Uh, everyone listening at home, uh, thank you for listening. I want to thank Campfire for hosting us. Please follow us on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club and Twitter at Bigfoot Pod. And do us a favor, uh, especially right now, we're trying to get the word out. Go to Apple Podcasts if you listen on that platform and give us a five-star review just write us something nice in there it'll help get the show to more people um until next time i remain michael mcmillan for bryce johnson and riley bray good night and go get regressed Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month.
Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible, and if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.